Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, you can take them and turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John. As I mentioned last week, I, I uh, kind of, I didn't mess it up, but kind of went off my preaching schedule. I had originally scheduled the, the passage we looked at last week in 2 Thessalonians as two sermons, but I ended up preaching them in one, so that kind of gives a, gives a free week here to kind of, kind of do whatever. And uh, I texted a, a mentor of mine, and I said, hey, here's the situation. Just got done preaching 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Supposed to preach it in two messages. Ended up doing it in one. I've got a free week. I said, what would you do if you were in the middle of a series through First and 2 Thessalonians and you had a free week to do something? And he mentioned uh, this passage we're going to look at this morning. And uh, from 1 John chapter 2, and it's really enlarging on the concept of the Antichrist. If you were with us last week, you remember that, that, that passage we looked at in first, uh, from 2 Thessalonians. So I still consider this to be a part of our series in First and 2 Thessalonians, but I want to spend our time today in the book of 1 John and in chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. Uh, again, enlarging on a concept we saw in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you remember, that passage was about the man of lawlessness. This man is a, uh, as we looked at last week, this man is a Satan-empowered Jesus-hater who, through supernatural powers and wonders, will lead the world in the worship of Satan, all this after the church is raptured and the day of the Lord begins. This man of lawlessness, who is known elsewhere and who is often titled as the Antichrist, will uh, be the epitome of human evil and human rebellion. He hates God, he hates Jesus, he hates religion, and he'll set himself up as God, and, uh, and uh, cause all people, like we mentioned, to worship Satan. So with this lawless one, uh, the Antichrist, um, hasn't come yet. The Antichrist isn't here yet. Well, at least he hasn't yet been revealed. That's what Paul says. But Paul did say uh, in, in 2 Thessalonians 2, while, while the, the, he hasn't been revealed yet, he did say that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. So I want to enlarge on that, and one of the greatest ways to enlarge on that is to look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 27. So let's read these verses. The Apostle John, and by the way, I'm going to say now, I've been saying the Apostle Paul for how many weeks in a row now, and now we're jumping to the Apostle John. So I'm just going to give you a warning here that there's probably going to be some time in this message where I refer to Paul when I should be referring to John. So just... You stay alert on that. I'm going to probably mess up, but hear the Apostle John from 1 John chapter 2. Let's see what John writes to his Christian readers. He says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, and he is coming. But so now, many Antichrists have already come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They, these Antichrists, they went out from us. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? That's the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son 
No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you, you, you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing, anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. Now it's helpful, you know, we're, we're kind of picking up right in the middle of, uh, towards the beginning, I guess. Uh, right in the, kind of working our way into the book of First John. It's important to understand why John is writing this epistle, because it's going to help us understand this. And we're not going to spend much time on this, we don't have the time to do that. But John is writing this letter... Here's the basic thing. John is writing this letter to help Christians discern who's really a Christian. It's the foundational reason why he's writing. And so he gives, throughout the book, he'll give black and white characteristics of what it means to be a Christian. No falsehood, no lies, instead there's truth. No light, instead there's darkness. Uh, No practicing of sin, instead there's an abiding in the Lord Jesus. And so he'll, he's, he's giving all these black and white characteristics because he's, he's not leaving any room for moral middle ground here. You can't serve two masters. And as he goes through and he's, he's identifying and help us to, helping us discern who's, who's a genuine Christian and who's not, he does this by kind of, kind of combating false doctrine and false teachers and, as we read in this passage, antichrists. And the false teaching was basically this. They had false teachers back in this day, and we know this from history, looking at the first century, that there was a teaching that was beginning to make its way around the world, that the, basically that matter was evil, the body was evil, anything material was evil. And so that the whole goal of salvation is that you be set free from your body, you be set free from material things. And so salvation was actually apart from Christ. So he had to do a lot of severe things to the body. We looked at, remember, we're in Colossians, Paul touches on the same sort of thing. You got to do all these harsh things to the body, and the, the harsher you treat your body, the more spiritual you get. And, and ultimately, they, they trivialized Christ because salvation had nothing to do with Christ. And they taught it really didn't matter if you broke God's law, because again, God, God doesn't really matter in all this. It's just about how you treat your body. So this is kind of a like a... John is giving them warning of impending danger. And here he's mentioning the Antichrist. Now the word Antichrist is made up of two words, right? Anti and Christ. The word anti means to be against or to take the place of. And then we have the word Christ. So he's referring here, when he refers to the Antichrist that have already come, it's referring to someone who is opposed, openly opposed to Christ. Or someone who seeks to take the place of Christ. That's an antichrist. Anyone who opposes Jesus or anyone who tries to take the place of Jesus claiming themselves to be the Christ. And so keep both those meanings in mind as we go through. Anyone who opposes Jesus, which by the way, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you've never trusted in him, that's you. And that's all of us before we were saved. Someone who opposes Jesus or someone who claims to be Jesus and seeks to take the place of Jesus. So, this passage here gives us three ways to identify the spirit of the Antichrist. And when I say spirit, I don't mean like a demonic spirit. I'm talking about an attitude, a, a way of thinking. So, three ways to identify the spirit 
of the Antichrist. Number one, there's a departure from church fellowship. We see that in verses 18 and 19. A departure from church fellowship. Now, John begins uh, by saying, children, it is the last hour. And it is the last hour. The last hour began with the arrival of Jesus Christ when he was born. We call the first advent. And you can, if you need verses for that, uh, we won't take time to look at them, but it's Acts chapter 2, verse 17, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And so the last hour began with Jesus Christ, and it's continuing on even now today, 2022, as we sit here this morning. But we are in the last era of world history before all people of all time are placed in their final eternal destinies. So this is it. This is the last hour. There's, no, there's, no, there's not another era after this, for this world anyways. What comes after this is when Jesus comes back for his second coming, he's going to inaugurate the final era. Commentator Daniel Aiken, he notes how John's concern in this passage is that God's children learn how to tell time. But he mentions it's not chronological time telling, but spiritual clock watching that John is most concerned about. Because the fact of the matter is, we may not know where the minute hand is at, but we know where the hour hand is at. And we're at the very last hour. And regardless of where the minute hand is at, as time winds down in this earth, we know that it is the last hour. And our job is not to figure out the minutes. Our job is not to figure out the minutes. Our job is not to figure out where the minute hand is at. Our job is to realize that it's the last hour. Uh, it's kind of like uh, this past Sunday we enjoyed having a lot of people over to watch the Super Bowl. And before the Super Bowl, uh, we had everybody fill out a, a Super Bowl prediction sheet. And what it was, it was basically 10 questions, 10 or so questions concerning events that were going to happen during the game. And you're supposed to answer these questions with your prediction on what was going to happen during the game or certain outcomes of, of what was going to happen during the game. And needless to say, none of, none of us got a perfect score. But the prediction sheet is a picture of what many Christians try to do. Is that they're trying to predict what's, gonna, what's next, what's going what's gonna to happen What's going to happen next when it comes to the end times? And we're writing down our predictions. And and even when it comes to the Antichrist, people are trying to fill out their predictions on, if there's a question, who is the Antichrist? Christians like to fill it in. Is it Hitler? Was it Judas? Is it one of the popes? Well, the Bible says, the Bible says nothing. And so we must be careful that we don't try to figure out the minutes, but we just realize that we're in the last hour. And as fun as the Super Bowl prediction sheet can be, when it comes to the hidden details of the end times, Christians should not, should not get involved in predictions. You should not get involved in predictions. You should not listen to anyone who is involved in predictions. Even though we know it's the last hour. And how do we know it's the last hour? Well, he says there's, because there's so many antichrists present. That's what verse 18, right? It's the last hour, and you heard that the Antichrist is coming, but so now many Antichrists have already come. Therefore, we know it's the last hour because of all the Antichrists that are around. The Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist, we already mentioned this, he's the man of lawlessness from 2 Thessalonians 2. His arrival and power is prophesied about in the book of Daniel, and again in Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 to 10. But... Right now, many antichrists are already here. And these many antichrists are previews of 
the ultimate Antichrist. But the Apostle John is referring to that even now there's a satanic energized opposition to the Lord Jesus. There's an intense rejection, an an intense sort of opposition against Christ and against the true gospel. And it's right now, right here, in all the world. And John is actually going to address this uh, later on when he gets to 1 John chapter 4, verse 3, where he says, Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, and then notice what he says again, and, and, is now, and now is in the world already. So John found this so important, he wanted to come back to it. Yeah, the Antichrist is coming, but the spirit of Antichrist, the Antichrist is already here, right now. We'll be looking at the denial of the Lord Jesus here in a, in a minute. Right now, it kind of helps us see what John is doing. This is real. Antichrists are here. People who oppose Jesus, people who reject the gospel, people, yes, even who want to take the place of Jesus and claim themselves to be Jesus. I was just scrolling through a new, the news, uh, news articles just this morning, and it said, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but it was, you know, it was his name, The God. Uh, was this, uh, I think it was a, some sort of musical artist or something like that. I kind of kept scrolling, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of athletes who name themselves as Jesus or God or the God of this or whatever, and it's, it's prevalent. People who oppose and reject Jesus. Now, specifically in this verse, we say departure from church fellowship. Why do we say that? Because John says one of the ways you identify a Jesus opposer uh, uh, a, uh, a counterfeit Christian is verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they were not of, not of us at all. So he's saying here that this sort of, the us he's talking about is the fellowship of believers. And what he's saying is this, this, this sort of fellowship of believers of local church. Now he's, not, now, he's not saying that the local church saves you. As if to say, they were saved because they were going to church. But once they left the church, they lost their salvation. That's not what he's saying at all. Because you can be a church member and not be a family member. That is part of God's family through faith in Jesus. You can find yourself inside a church location but not have true gospel salvation. But one mark of a genuine Christian is the desire to be a part of the fellowship in a local church. There's a spiritual commonality that exists in the fellowship of believers within a local church. It's not that the church saves you. But eventually, counterfeits will leave. Because counterfeits will realize they have no spiritual common ground with those who are true believers. And so those who abandon the church or those who reject the faith, I think it's kind of the same idea here. They're, they're abandoning the church fellowship. They're rejecting the faith. They reveal that they were never really Christians in the first place. All true believers. While, yes, we experience times of doubt and hardships, we endure and we persevere to the end. That's what God says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. We'll touch a little bit more on that about how this applies to our daily lives in a little bit. But let's go on to the second one for now. The first way to identify the spirit of the Antichrist is departure from church fellowship. The second way is denial of Jesus' lordship. This is verses 20 to 25. Specifically, verse 22, 
where he says, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Now we have this word uh, mentioned here in verse 20. Uh, two kind of key words, actually. He says, you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. Now, those two words, knowledge and anointing, those are like the key words of many false teachers and counterfeit Christians. They like to use the word knowledge. They like to use the word anointing. And the false teachers in the Apostle John's day claimed that there was a higher knowledge, that salvation came if you really wanted to be saved and set free from all the evil, that there was some sort of higher knowledge that you had to get, and it wasn't found in Christ. There's some transcendent anointing that was necessary in order to be saved. So you have both those things. There's a higher knowledge that you need in order to truly be saved. There's some transcendent anointing that you need to experience in order to truly be saved. But the truth is, every genuine Christian has been anointed with the Holy Spirit by Jesus, who is the Holy One. All right? So you have been anointed with the Holy Spirit by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. This is something the Apostle Paul picks up on in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, where he's talking about this anointing. He says, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. And what's it say here? Uh, and has anointed us. How so? He has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So there it is, the Holy Spirit within us. That's, that's our anointing. If you're a genuine follower of Jesus, you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus, you have been anointed with the Holy Spirit by the Holy One, Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit within us illuminates the truths of God's word in our hearts, enabling us to discern truth from error. So basically... Basically what this means is that in Christ, you have everything you need. In Christ, you have everything you need. You don't need to go beyond that. And you have everything you need because Christ gives you his Holy Spirit. Now why is this a big deal? Why is this a big deal, this whole thing about Jesus? It's because any other system of religion or system of truth is actually a lie. That's what the Bible says here. Who is the liar? But the one who denies Jesus is the Christ. The Christ, the word means Messiah. He's the Lord. He's the ruler. No one who rejects what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ can be saved. Salvation is an understanding of who Jesus is, a conviction of its veracity, and a surrender by faith to the Lord Jesus' lordship. Salvation requires we embrace the Lord Jesus as the Messiah. Acts chapter 4, talking to the Sanhedrin, They're calling him out and saying, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He's the top of the line. He is Lord of all. And we need to be reminded that this is not just some theological statement. Okay, it's not just agreeing with a fact. It's not just saying, yes, I, uh, yeah, I, 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 I would say that. Yeah, Jesus is Lord. I mean, it's similar to, if you're liking it to declaring bankruptcy. If you're going to declare bankruptcy, you can't just say with your mouth, I declare bankruptcy. 
I saw a guy try it in a TV show once. It didn't work. You've actually got to go through the judicial process of being bankrupt. And that's the same with salvation. It's not just a verbal statement. I declare Jesus as Messiah, but it's, it's trusting him. It's placing your faith in him. You can't just declare and affirm facts about him. Demons can do that. Demons, demons say Jesus is Lord. Mark chapter 1, verse 24. Demons can affirm more facts about Jesus than you or I can. But they're not saved. Our minds are involved, of course, yes, we need to know. We need to know the facts without placing our faith in him, without placing our full dependence on him and him alone for salvation. We're not saved. We're not truly saved. Did you hear about recently, this was a big news article, uh, a Catholic priest who, uh, in Arizona, thousands of baptisms were invalidated because he used the word we instead of I. And I want you to look at, these are the first words that will be on the screen. They're, They're the first words from a Washington Post article. Their salvation, their marriages, confessions, promises of salvation. All these things cease to exist for thousands of Catholics baptized by an Arizona priest who, it turns out, was saying the sacrament script wrong. Why is the lordship of Jesus Christ such a big deal? This is why. Salvation is in Christ alone, not baptism. He is Lord. There is no other name given to anybody else. There's no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. Salvation is about finding and placing and resting our faith in the Lord Jesus. And there's evidence of this as we look at the final part of this. Where he says, uh, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Now, this, he, almost, he presents almost another evidence. Again, remember, he's, the, the, the whole point of the book of First John is to help Christians discern who's really a Christian, uh, who's a genuine Christian. And in the first one, he talks about one evidence of a genuine Christian is that they're part of the fellowship of the local church. Where here, he kind of gives another one. And that is in verse 24, where he talks about obedience to the Lord's commands. Let what you heard abide in you. So another evidence for a genuine believer would be that not only do they, do they claim and believe and trust in and depend on that Jesus is Lord and Savior, but they also, there's fruit of that in their lives. And it's obedience to the commands of Jesus. So one evidence of a genuine Christian is love for fellowship with other Christians. Another one is obedience to Jesus' teaching. John will circle back to this same thing in, in the book of 2 John, in verse 9. I love, how, I love how John puts it here. He says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Jesus Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both Father and the Son. Why don't you just look at this for a minute? Because he uses the word everyone, go, everyone who goes on ahead. I like how the NIV puts it. The NIV translates that anyone who runs ahead. Anyone who runs ahead and says, bye Jesus, don't need you anymore. They don't have God. 
But whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Evidence that you are truly a believer. The false teachers taught that a person could advance to greater heights of illumination. They taught that there were better experiences, better knowledge than what is found in Jesus Christ. And that's what you needed to pursue. These greater heights of illumination. But you can't advance beyond the gospel. There is no advanced treatment for bitterness, anger, OCD, depression, sorrow, addiction, jealousy, or pride. Jesus is the advanced treatment. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It all comes down to this. For every person, who is Jesus Christ? You can agree on everything else, but if you get that wrong, you go to hell. And if you believe Jesus is the Christ, are you showing fruit of that? I may have shared this before, but I, at the church I formerly pastored, I was doing an evangelistic Bible study with a guy in town, uh, a rough biker gang sort of guy, a uh, middle-aged guy, had a young son, and he was the son of a, a pastor and grew up in the church. And it was really just kind of at a loss, really wasn't showing any evidence, and and so I started doing this evangelistic Bible study with him, and he told me that uh, one week we met, and then we met the next week, and he told me that he went back to work, and he told his, his unsaved coworker, he says, I don't think this guy thinks I'm a Christian. To which his unsaved coworker says, well, where's the fruit? So if you're a follower of Jesus, where's the fruit? Now he's telling us to abide. Stay put. Stay there. Stay, where Je- stay in Jesus' teaching. There's nowhere else to go. Stay in Jesus' teaching. And he's calling, us to, calling them to persevere in the truth. Now, you might say, well, Christians will never lose their salvation. You just got done saying that. Christians never lose their salvation if it's in Christ alone. But yet we're told to abide, to stick with the teachings of Christ. Why? Because that's how we become more like Jesus. Abiding in the truth is evidence that the truth abides in you. We must stick with the truth of God's word. And it says that the ultimate reward for every Christian, not because of the works you do, but the ultimate reward for placing your faith in Jesus Christ and showing the fruit that is a result of placing your faith in Jesus Christ, the ultimate reward at the end of verse 25 is eternal life. There's a third way to identify these antichrists. Number three, deception about genuine worship. Departure from church fellowship, denial of Jesus' lordship, and deception about genuine worship. Look at verse 26 and 27. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But... As his anointing teaches you about everything. That's where I get the word worship. This is about everything. This is a whole life thing. This isn't just a church thing or a baptism thing or a religious thing. This is, this is work. This is parenting. This is marriage. This is Jesus' teaching, filtrating, infiltrating, permeating everything. That's why I get the word worship. And so you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything... And it's true and is no lie, just that it's taught you, abide in him. And this is another 
Paul, uh, John, see, I just did it right there. John talks about his, one of his purposes, right? He says, I write these things to you. Here's why I'm writing. Warning, deception, danger that comes from these false teachers and these antichrists. Because here's the thing about counterfeit religions, counterfeit teachers, counterfeit Christians. They persist in their attempt to deceive. They don't leave their beliefs and the rejection of Christ to themselves, but they go after Christians. If you don't think there is a Satan-empowered force in this world trying to deceive you away from Jesus Christ, you're ignorant. And you gotta, you got to open your eyes. Not everything you hear on the radio, read on Facebook, hear even from Christian people who would label themselves as Christian teachers is Christian. we got to be careful. i got to be careful. Because they won't leave their beliefs to themselves. They're going to come after you. They're going to come after me. We will never live in a world where the church is not threatened with deception. Satan is the father of lies, and he plants his counterfeits in the world among genuine believers with the hope of deceiving. And this is, this is an exact example of, of Jesus' parable. You remember the parable of Jesus of the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds? What happens, he gives this parable about a guy who goes out to sow, and the servants come back and tell this, this, this man who planted uh, seeds in his field, he says, the, somebody has come at night and there's, there's a bunch of weeds growing with all the wheat. And this man says, well, the enemy has done it. And then Jesus explains the parable at the end of Matthew chapter 13, and here's what he says. He says, he answered, because they asked him about it, like, what does this mean? He said, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Okay, Jesus. Jesus is the sower throwing out good seed. The field is the world, and the good seed, sons of the kingdom, Christians. Okay, so Jesus is planting Christians as they come to faith in him all over the world. The weeds, notice here, are the sons of the evil one, sons of Satan. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are... Right, the angels. So what he's saying here is you have two seeds going out. Jesus planting Christians, the devil planting counterfeits, and the, and the thing in the parables, they looked almost exactly alike. They can now hardly tell which one was a wheat, which one was a weed. And so this whole idea of deception, it's all around us. It's growing up with us. Whenever Jesus plants a Christian, Satan plants a counterfeit. And I would agree with what one preacher said when he was preaching Matthew chapter 13. That there are some of you in here right now who are really weeds, but you're acting like wheat. And you may have everybody fooled. You may have your parents fooled, your family fooled, your pastor fooled. You may have the church fooled. But you won't fool God. And you won't fool God at the end of the age. And my plea to you is to quit trying to act like the wheat. Instead, become one through faith in the Lord Jesus. Genuine worship for Christians as we go through this world is going to be surrounded by the weeds. Yet genuine worship of the Lord produces what we were just talking about, fruit and maturity. 
And so these antichrists are, are going to deceive us about what the Christian life should look like. How we should worship, how we should do things, how we should live, how, should we, how we should speak. But our protection is the word of God. So he says uh, in verse 27, he says, The anointing that you have received abides in him, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, what is that? He's not canceling, we live in cancel culture. John is not canceling Bible teachers here, okay? Because that would go directly against what Matthew 28, 20 says, where Jesus says, go and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all that I commanded. Uh, he gave pastors and teachers to the church, Ephesians chapter 4. So he's not saying there shouldn't be any Bible teachers. But what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit teaches us through his word, the truths that the Holy Spirit illuminates for our hearts and minds is sufficient for our worship. So there's no extra knowledge to pursue. There's no you know, higher sort of experience uh, we need to try to grab hold of. The Holy Spirit is our guide, not some system or some teacher that claims to have some sort of higher anointing or higher knowledge. That's what he's talking about here. The Holy Spirit illuminates the truth of God already revealed in Scripture. And progressively, we develop our ability to understand and apply God's word to daily life. That's, that's what worship is. And it has everything to do with our worship. Worship is our total response to the one true God. So Everything we do is a response to the one true God. Worshiping God, that is. And Scripture is our authority on how we relate to God. And to believe a lie distorts our worship. And so these de- deceivers that are coming in, that's their goal. To remove the worship of God. Just like the Antichrist, right? The Antichrist is going to pull away all worship from the true God and put it on Satan. And that's what they want to do now. Deception so that your worship goes to something else other than God. We can't rely on human wisdom. We have to know the word of God. False teachers like to pick things out of the Bible, take them out of their context, and then make a message of their own. So these are the three ways. Now, I think there's three important applications I want to give you. And we're going to spend some time on this. Because I think this is where things really get into our world. Our world, and yes, in some cases even the church, is fast becoming overwhelmed with antichrists. So I would say to you, that the spirit, again, the, the spirit, not, not like a demonic spirit, but the spirit, the attitude, the thinking. The spirit of the Antichrist is spread among Christianity. Therefore, we need to be able to discern truth from error. There will be no other way to do this. There will be no other way to do this than for you to read the Bible. That's the primary way. I said there's no other way. I mean, yes, you need to be listening to Bible teaching. You should come on Sundays so I don't just preach to an empty auditorium. But the, but the idea, what I'm trying to get across here is that the, the main foundational way for you to discern truth from error is that the Holy Spirit that's within you use you as you're reading your Bible to eliminate, eliminate truths to you so that you know the truth. You need to stay in fellowship with a biblically orthodox church where God's word is preached. There you go, there's my second one. You need to prayerfully consider every message you hear. Secondly, we as Christians must be careful not to allow the spirit of the Antichrist to influence our minds. And one of the, one of the main ways this happens, I think in the church, I think one of the main ways this happens, that the Antichrist influences our minds, is by convincing us to go on ahead of Jesus Christ. To run ahead 
to leave Jesus Christ behind. He's, he doesn't have anything for you in your anxiety, in your depression, in your troubled marriage. There's no hope for you in Jesus found in the suffering you're going through, the hopelessness you feel. And so just, just so we have the, the, the tendency, the te- we face the temptation to just leave Christ behind. And so we must be careful not to allow that sort of attitude, that sort of thinking of the Antichrist influence our minds. Because as the weeds grow up with the wheat, there'll be constant influence, constant temptations to lessen the importance of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, to lessen the importance of authentic biblical fellowship in the local church, to turn worship of God into worship of self. The final one is this. This is a big one for me. I read a Crossway article recently, and it wasn't, wasn't related at all to the topic that we're talking about this morning. But in the article, it made this comment. We live day to day, not miracle to miracle. Now here's why I thought this was appropriate for this passage. Because it's appropriate to the context that John is writing. False teachers promised a higher enlightenment, a higher knowledge, a secret insight, a sort of higher experience that you can get than just the simple day-to-day trust in Jesus Christ. It had everything to do with the fanciful and nothing to do with sound doctrine. And this is the message we get from, yes, even many Christian songwriters, many Christian preachers. Many Christian books, many Christian posts on Facebook. We have Christian Facebook posts, TikTok shorts, and Instagram stories promising miracles and promising higher enlightenments. And they've got all sort of Jesus language attached to it. And we have all these messages saying, it's not, it's not forget the slow plod, and that's what it is. The slow plod of day-to-day faithful Christian living. You've got to be looking for a miracle. You've got to be speaking and declaring great things for yourself. You've got to speak the name of Jesus over some things so you can get your, you get your life the way you want it. And it's not about that slow plod of day-to-day Christianity, but it's about big miracles, promising what God never promised. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. And Christians were so prone to fall for that because it sounds good. It feels good. It's what we want. But this produces a disillusioned and mediocre Christianity. And I don't want to, I'm not going to go there. Wherever your mind went during that, that's where you should apply this to. The Antichrist is coming. He is. I don't know when. Could be a thousand years from now. Could be tomorrow. He'll be revealed. But Jesus will do that. When the day of the Lord begins after the church is raptured. But until then, don't try to figure out the minute hand. Realize we're in the last hour. And be alert, be watchful. Your devil is a, uh, the devil, your enemy, the devil, is a, is a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. And he's going to devour, devour you with a lot of Christianese language. 
but you got to be grounded in the truth. So my appeal to you is that you learn to discern truth from error. And that just means you, with your heavenly father, going to his word and reading the whole thing. Not in one sitting, don't try that. Piece by piece, day by day. My appeal to you is that you would not allow the spirit of the Antichrist into your mind. Rejecting Christ, looking for something greater, something higher. That you would be discerning about anything that promises anything other than the slow plod of faithful Christian living. Brothers and sisters, let's be careful of the spirit of the Antichrist. And if you're in here again and you're a weed and you've been playing wheat, you're a counterfeit, but you look like the real thing. And you have everybody else fooled, but you know, you know in your heart that when you stand before God, you won't fool him. He sent his son Jesus to die for those antichrists, for those opposers, those rejectors of him, so that anyone who places their faith in Jesus, believes on him, depends on him, can have eternal life, all sins forgiven. And you become the wheat, the real thing, the genuine thing. And then God will work in you to produce all sorts of fruit. Maybe that could be you today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would, I think it's pretty clear from your word, it's not going to happen. The deceivers are going to be among us, around us. And so we don't go around with the, we don't go around with the, the knife cutting down all the weeds. That's what Jesus said not to. We go around with our Bibles trying to be discerning. So Lord, instill in us discernment. Help us to love you. Help us never to run ahead of our Lord Jesus. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.